Hi there, welcome to this new segment called Proclaiming Hope as part of the Stories of Hope podcast. My next guest is Rick Hill, and I've had the privilege of knowing him ever since I was a teenager, which wasn't uh, yesterday. Um, Rick, I've known from when he was leading worship with Worship Ireland and Street Reach back in 2006, and that's scary thinking about how long ago that was. Uh, he's been an encourager and mentor to me. I've read his blog posts, seen his heart. He's growing ministry through, I'm going to try and get this right from top of memory, Scripture Union, um, all the way up into the Presbyterian Church. But I'm not going to tell you his bio or anything. Like I'm going to let him talk because um, I love, love you. You listen, like listening to the guests, not me uh, at times. But Rick, thanks for coming on. And he's going to share with us his new book and what God has laid on his heart. So Rick, welcome. Tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do. Sure, Michael. Thanks so much for having me on. And uh, it's good to connect with you again. And I've enjoyed connecting with you over the years, as you say, in a whole variety of ways. Um, so yeah, a bit about who I am. I'm, I live near Ballyclare. I'm married to Sarah. Sarah's a teacher. I'm with two two wee boys in the house here, uh, Noah, who's eight, and Micah, who's three. And uh, so life's busy and uh, lots going on. And um, kind of beyond family, I have, I have two paid ministry roles right now. So uh, it's kind of a mix of the local and the wider. So firstly, I work and ma- mainly I work for the Presbyterian Church in Ireland mm-hmm. um, in the areas of discipleship and leadership. So lots of delivering training, developing resources churches can use. Um, I'm passionate about equipping others and resourcing the local church. And it's a privilege to do that, you know, across a, a kind of wide range of churches right across the land. So, I, I could, yeah, as I said, kind of a privilege. And then secondly, I also lead locally too in, in Carnmoney Church. I, I was a youth worker there for several years before I stepped into the PCI role. And um, I'm an elder there, but also also I'm on staff um, one day one day per week there to, to coordinate discipleship ministry and preach a little. Um, that's probably just a short-term thing um, as we're in a period of vacancy and, and kind of undergoing some staffing changes, but it's, it's lovely to be able to contribute locally as well as the wider stuff. And as you say, Michael, sort of along the way, I've had a, a variety of leadership roles. So some paid, some voluntary. I've worked in parachurch ministry of Scripture Union. I was employed by a church as a youth worker. And then um, for the last five years, I've worked in this denominational role. So I guess through these roles, I've, I've led, uh, you know, I've trained interns, apprentice leaders, all sorts of all sorts of things. And um, and I guess that's, that's one of my passion is to train and equip others. Um, to disciple others and to lead where they're planted so that's that's kind of part of part of my heart you know incredible if you don't mind how did you come to know jesus christ as your own personal savior and your brief journey in discipleship then we're going to talk into what discipleship is and why it's important that we grow in discipleship so just tell us a bit about yourself that's before we get into that yeah, um, well, thanks for the opportunity. I mean, I think I, I think I'll probably tell this story differently now than I did ten years ago. Um, and part of that's with the benefit of hindsight. I think ten years ago, I would have maybe told you that I grew up in church, then rebelled as a teenager, and had a a pretty dramatic encounter with God during a worship event around the age of fifteen or sixteen, and you know, gave my life to Jesus, and and the trajectory of my life totally changed. Um, a lot of that is true, but I think with the benefit of hindsight now, I realize just how much spiritual formation had taken place in my heart and life from the earliest of the age. So, you know, faith was such an open 
natural part of our life and, and our homes. So the Bible was read to me. I remember getting my first set of Bible reading notes, I think at the age of eight, and I was encouraged to do that every day. And, and church was just this normal rhythm for me in my life, often twice on a Sunday, sitting through the evening service as a kids. Now, part of that was because we had to, because our parents led the music in our church. So there was kind of no other option than for them to bring us with them. But, but it just, church was just part of the fabric of my life. And then faith was as a result of that too. So faith was modeled really well and, and leadership modeled as well. So dad led the dad led the BB in our church. And, and so every summer we were off in, in camp, sleeping in tents and as a family taking part in the activities here and the devotions at night. And, and during the year, you know, I saw how dad used to bring these groups of lads to, you know, to our home to, you know, to build canoes or to play football. But, but really it was about building relationship with them to pass on faith. And, and so in some ways, faith and church was kind of all consuming and all encompassing in, in my life. And, you know, from a very young age. And I, I often hear people complain about that uh, in terms of their childhood. So that, you know, they might say things like church leadership took their parents away from their house mm-hmm. in their childhood. But looking back, I realized that my parents' faith actually brought the church to our house as we grew up, if that makes sense. And, um, and so I think it just contributes so much to that, to those roots. And I know we'll go on to talk about the kind of title of my book and the themes of it, but actually a lot of it is talking about how actually deep our roots can go um, in terms of our discipleship. And I, I, I attribute lots in terms of the, in terms of my faith and my story of faith to that kind of, to that kind of exposure, I guess, and that kind of example. Um, I, I did, I did walk my own way um, as a teenager. And I, I think as soon as I came to Christ, I had this burning desire to share that with others. Um, I look back and maybe smile a little at who I was aged 17 or 18. I think I probably was a little overzealous and over enthusiastic at times. <laughs> and maybe I look back and cringe at times, but actually at other times I probably look back and want to recapture some of that some of that passion and zeal and enthusiasm and and um and and so yeah from it from a kind of an early stage of faith I think I find myself in positions of leadership or positions of responsibility as a young Christian being asked to do things serve and speak and in church and school and summer mission not necessarily because of any ability but simply because it was there and it was present and I was I was available and I was willing and actually, I think those two things then intertwined. That was p- part of my discipleship journey was actually as I, as I served Jesus, this, I had this passion to serve and that kind of then created and, and developed in me this hunger to grow because I knew that the faith that I had, the knowledge that I had wasn't going to be enough to sustain me uh, and to sustain the kind of things that I was doing, the responsibilities I was being given and the leadership positions I was carrying. So um, so for me, that's kind of all intertwined, if that makes sense. Faith, discipleship, service, mission, you know. It's interlinked because growing up, those seeds were planted and it grew. And then you have that conversion to Christ and then that change. And then that zeal and passion, you grow. The way I look at it is like an oak tree and then it grows and it stands. And then to be a disciple is to be a follower of Christ. And you have to follow him over these years. And discipleship is one of your biggest passions, as is mine, to see people grow in faith. And 
and as you talk about that sort of seeing that you know church took away the parents some people argue but for you it's the opposite and for me i saw that too because like you my father was a, a bb captain and i saw how faith and life were just the same i didn't see them as two separate entities they were one investing in the lads lives advancing the, the christ kingdom amongst boys preparing his his bible devotions for camp seeing boys come to faith the, the enrollment services, the displays, but most importantly, investing in them to, to grow in those relationships, mm. to pass on faith. And that's something that we need to continually work at and never lose sight of. Because if you look at the early church, it was so communal. It was so one-on-one learning from each other to work yeah. together. And we need to learn about that. But we're going to come to your book, and I'm excited about this because when you announced it, I was like, yes, can't wait, because I've enjoyed listening and read your blog posts and WordPress and stuff like that all those years ago when you posted it first on Bebo. That's a long time ago. Um, <laughs> that's a long, that's a throwback. Um, looking back on my young Zalus days, I cringe, but I want that seal again. Tell us what discipleship means to you and why did you begin to write this book? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question in terms of why. It's funny, actually, Michael, you mentioned an oak tree because actually I wrote, there's a line that I, or a little section I wrote in the book that talks about how, um, where, where I say actually it takes six hours for a mushroom to grow, mm-hmm. but it takes 60 years for an oak tree to grow. Mm-hmm. And I kind of asked the question, do you want it to be a mushroom or, or an oak tree? Yeah. And but by that, I kind of mean... Do you want a faith that is a quick fix or, um, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of an instant yeah. and, a, you know, where we, where we, maybe we might assume or think that kind of in a world of next day delivery, yeah. we, we think we might be able to sort of fast track our way to a faith that, you know, reflects Jesus or makes a difference. And actually, I think probably the more I've been teaching and reading and leading out in the discipleship space I think I've come to realize how it takes time and there's no shortcuts and following Jesus um is something yeah that that, that takes time and I suppose so you asked the question you know why did I begin to write this and I think it was stirred by a couple of things that led me to write this book and um, one was a frustration and then the other was a realization. So the, the frustration arose out of seeing large numbers of my own generation and below drop out of church and Christian faith over the last decade. So I'm 36 now. Um, I've been following Jesus for 20 years. And uh, I've also worked in youth ministry. And so I've seen so many teenagers and 20-somethings start well, only to seemingly move away from Jesus. And that's troubled me you know but it's also caused me to consider them what really helps to develop faith for the long haul what makes a difference you know how do we how do we be how do we be in a tree and not a mushroom you know so um so that was kind of the frustration of, of watching peers and, and others that have worked and served with um just not follow jesus anymore or certainly not serve him with the same kind of passion and zeal. And then the other, the sort of realization came as I interacted with many others. And this is the good news part of what I'm sharing, who who not only continue to follow Jesus, but have flourished in their faith. And I began to look and maybe observe and reflect on what, what, what did I see in those people or 
what what common trends are there in, in their life or in their story? And I didn't do any, you know, this hasn't come out of any sort of precise research or systematic study, but instead I, be, I began to kind of draw a list of what I would describe as outward practices and inward principles that seem to have created a kind of resilience in their faith. So some things hidden and, and, and inward, you know, we'll maybe touch on some of those later and some kind of outward practices that we that we adopt or these people have adopted. And so I just began to write into that space, you know, exploring key principles and practices that might help to, I've had a few different phrases, you know, long, long haul faith or future proof or faith. And that sort of idea of actually a journey of discipleship isn't just for today, it's for tomorrow. And it's, you know, how do we be lifelong followers of Jesus? How do people like you and I, you know, Michael still be ensuring that we're following Jesus and leading others and ministering to others, making a difference in the kingdom, not just next year, but in 30 years time, because that, that, you know, if we have a generation of disciples who, who are robust and resilient and are still serving and making a difference in the kingdom in 30 years time, that, that will have a significant, you know, impact. So maybe just the last thing as well, what, what caused me to write the book, I realized that I was saying many of these things out loud with either young Christians, I seek the disciple or emerging leaders I'm training and I suppose I like the idea of maybe capturing it all in a more structured or coherent way that could be maybe more easily accessed or shared, you know, um, with a kind of with with a kind of wider wider group of people. Mm-hmm. I love what you've said. There's said so much. Um, I too have witnessed, you know, peers that I served with in church and growing, and oh, it was incredible just to be with them. But when I look back. I feel like the last man standing and it, it discourages my heart and but we need to examine ourselves then and why and that's what you're doing and I love and I love what you're sharing reminds me I, I looked it up in my notes here what Alan Redpath said in his book the making of a man of God lessons from the life of David and he says the conversion of a soul is the miracle of a moment but the manufacture of a saint is a task of a lifetime and discipleship is a long-haul process Paul said, you know, he who be confident that he who began a good work in you shall complete it. And we want to be fixed now, this, that, and the other, but it's a process. It's a growth. It takes time just as a child learns to walk, to crawl, to walk, to keep going. Yeah. And actually, I mean, just to just touch on that, you know, it's Billy Graham who said, you know, salvation is a free gift, but discipleship will cost you everything you have. And it's, it's that kind of idea of, um, you know, grace is freely offered to, to the whole world, to, to everyone. But actually, once once we make a choice to follow Jesus, actually, there's a cost that comes with yeah. that to, to our lives, you know. And um, I suppose I've become, uh, I suppose I've, I've maybe become, how would I put it, maybe concerned or passionate about the idea that we can't just be focused on, people's first steps of a discipleship journey we actually need to help them you know grow for the long haul we can't just be interested in just getting people into the doors of our churches but also we need to ensure that they're not just easily slipping out the back door as well so um, i think that's kind of the space that it's written that's written into so you've captured the heart well i just love that you know it's one thing you know Yes, you know, if the church doesn't evangelize or fossilize, it's Oswald Chambers' rights. But at the same time, if the church is not growing, 
building, then what's the foundational? Yeah, and so, so, yeah, so to pick up, I mean, the title of the book is Deep Roots of Resilient Disciples. And, um, and so that growth is actually not just outward, mm-hmm. but the growth is actually downward too. Um, up, it's, it's upward towards Christ, but it's also downward in terms of the types of foundations that we build on to pick up the Matthew 7 parable, or which, which I reflect on in the, in the book, but also to, to kind of this, this actually that discipleship is a downward tra- trajectory as well of it's not climbing a ladder to the top. It's actually submission and servanthood and sacrifice. And actually whenever we build those kind of deep roots in our lives, um, actually that then is what makes a difference above the surface of our lives and the things that, that, that other people see. Yeah, exactly. The Bible talks about, you know, obedience is better than sacrifice. And being, being a boys brigade man, you know, obedience, reverence and all that towards true Christian manliness, that's, that's for me was a guiding path in my discipleship. But we get now, come people coming to the church who perhaps have never had that experience of going to local organizations or Sunday schools, but yet they catch this fire to grow. And I think as a community of believers, discipleship needs to be at the forefront as well as evangelism, but to make disciples starting off at our roots, working on, yes, as you said, the downward, but looking upward. As I remember an old pastor teaching me this, the way up in the kingdom is down. It's down on your knees, seeking God, but at the same time you keep moving. And what do you see as we carry on this conversation? I'm trying to find the way. What do you see the future for in discipleship now in this Western culture of shifting sounds of culture where everything can change in an instant. What do you see? Yeah, uh, that, that's a good question. I think I think one of one of the things that we'll have to grapple with, and I, and I talk about this in the book, is this idea of how we engage with culture. Um, so, so that that's that's one of the key themes. There's two chapters in the middle, um, chapters five and chapter six. Chapter five talks about how we can be a contrast people mm-hmm. to the culture around us, and then chapter six talks about engage, how we engage with culture, how we relate and engage with culture. And you know, you talk about the kind of shift in cultural sounds, Michael. You know, in Christianity, in our in our country, in our land, in our culture, society is no longer a dominant worldview. You know, it's not the accepted norm, and so. Um, a little bit like Daniel and his friends, we find ourselves now in Babylon. The picture of Babylon is far, the biblical picture of Babylon is far more, is far closer to our reality as 21st century Christians than, than the kind of stories of Jerusalem. And, you know, so we kind of find ourselves pushed to the edges of culture. In some ways, we feel exiled as strangers in, in, in the land. And, and so that, I think that, to pick up the theme of resilience then you know that causes maybe some to choose well actually i'll just choose comfort you know or i'll abandon lifelong spiritual patterns that i've had and the weeks you know the root systems of their faith weaken so i think on one one hand in terms of the cultural dilemma or the cultural situation is it's critical we consider how we relate to a culture that will form us in its image if we allow it and so a part of the book is reflecting on this kind of idea that we 
we need to be well formed as followers of Jesus, not in the image of the culture, but actually we can't take it for given or granted that we will just automatically, you know, pick up how to follow Jesus. Actually, this needs to be an intentional process. Um, and so, so that's, that's kind of some of it saying the culture is powerful. Take seriously your own growth and discipleship. And then the other kind of angle of the kind of cultural conversation in the book is how we relate then to the culture around us. And I suggest in that chapter, chapter six, engaging with culture, that modern day disciples shouldn't try to escape culture. So shouldn't just try to hide away, you know, put up defensive walls and hide away and try to protect ourselves from the sin out there. But on the other hand, we shouldn't overly embrace the, the values of our culture as well and just try to reflect it just to blend in. But actually, it's, it's trying to discover and find this third way mm-hmm. where we actively, but with a critical mindset, we engage with it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean sorry, critical towards the culture. I mean, in terms of with wisdom and discernment, we're able to critically evaluate how we can engage with with, with the culture around us. So not being overly influ- influenced by our culture's values, realizing it's wanting to shape us and its image, but also living with open hands rather than clenched fists, you know, as we as we kind of reject that temptation of creating little subcultures of Christianity, I don't think that will help us in terms of holding out the living hope that you're talking about to, to others, you know. So how do we walk our faith out in proximity to others without being kind of overly influenced? So, so that, that's kind of the thread of those middle two chapters, which I, I do think is kind of a key, yeah, a kind of key theme and thread throughout it. It is, and what you're talking about, I'm drawn to what Jesus says in, in Matthew's gospel, where he talks about, you know, you're a city on a hill, this light that cannot be hidden. And we we don't, I love what you said, we don't embrace the culture just to fit, fit in and hide away. We need to stand out, but where do we stand out? In the midst of the culture, with hands open, saying, this is what we believe in. This, yeah. we were just like you. People quote 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 9, 9, a list of all the sins, there's the other part, as some were you. And it's easy for the church to be with critical hands, and but we're known for hands being open. When we think about the early church, a real historical flag about the early churches, but we're known for their generosity, their hospitality, yeah. their arms of love and forgiveness. And a Roman spy said to a Caesar at that point, there is something divine in the midst of them, O king. And they engage with culture. And as we look into Acts, um, Paul sees in, in Martyr's Hell the, the to, to, to the unknown God and he engages with the culture. And we need not to be shy away from it and to engage with the culture to give a reason, as 1 Peter 3.15 says, for the hope that is within you. And I love mm-hmm. how we, you're talking about engaging in culture because there's this shift in church where we have to be completely in our own celestial church bubble. But yet Christ calls us to go, to, to go into the highways and byways, to show, to proclaim this good news, not just by word alone, but by deed as well. So I'm, it's going back. I love how it's called roots because it is going back to roots, thinking about what the Bible mm-hmm. teaches, how to live it, but more importantly, how we apply it now in our culture. So you'd mentioned by chapter six, what our lessons can someone get from your book later on because roots are just roots you have to 
grow into something like an oak tree. The yeah. future yeah. of Northern Ireland is unique, but the future of Britain is unique as well. But what do you see now after we emerge from this coronavirus pandemic? And for those who are watching this on YouTube, I love Rick's t-shirt. I think you're on mute. I think that'll be the phrase <laughs> I'll remember in 2020 and 2021. Um, where do we see the church? Because people were panicking when the churches were closed, but yet this is where people have discovered faith. So how can we move from this sort of digital worry to knowing that when it comes to discipleship, that we can grow on it? Yeah, I mean, uh, good question. Uh, yeah, that, by the way, this is, yeah, this is a lockdown t-shirt purchase. So um, yeah, like we're not on Zoom calls, you know. And um, yeah, I mean, so, so, I mean, some of the other themes that I explored throughout the book, um, there's 11 chapters and each of the 11 chapters offer a kind of posture or a marker or principle. It's seen in the life of Christ. So there's a, a kind of reflection throughout the Gospels and 10 out of the 11 chapters, there's Acts chapter one in there and another one. Um, but basically seen through the life or the words of Jesus. And then, you know, it, it's kind of, a, there's a posture or a pattern offered for a life of of long haul faith. So the themes are a mix of both the personal and the corporate, the hidden and the outward. So the, the personal aspect is found in chapters um, exploring the nature of apprenticeship to Jesus. So whenever whenever Jesus invited his followers to come, come follow me, what, what was he actually doing there? What was happening? Um, what did the nature of that apprenticeship look like? And, and what does that look like in our lives today? Um, chapter focused on how we can be reliant on the on the ministry of the Holy Spirit as well in our lives as well. So th those are kind of the personal aspects. Then there's the corporate chapters, um, exploring our relationship to the church, how we can contribute to building authentic Christian community. So it's kind of again those roots. If you're not sharing your life with others, if you're not um, contributing and committed to the life of a local church, then actually you'll struggle to. Yeah build resilience for the long haul and um, the, there's then there's a the hidden side and this movie reflects a little bit this is probably the chapter that's most written i think around the kind of nature of the last year and the and kind of emerging out of the pandemic so the the, the hidden side is the chapter on how we can cultivate spiritual habits that will shape and sustain us so it's that kind of idea of you know that we've learned that actually when all the when all the churches were closed and actually when all the programs stopped and the activity stopped, actually did, did we, what, where do we turn and what do we need to shape and sustain us? And it wasn't Christian activity, but it was intimacy with Jesus and kind of well, um, well-worn spiritual habits and disciplines. So Bible reading, prayer, also touch and silence and solitude and, sabbath fasting and, and kind of spiritual habits that actually will help us to develop this kind of cultivate this kind of these spiritual rhythms you know that will will, will grow up grow us and then there's the outward aspects that you were kind of asking about so the outward aspects touch on issues of how we relate to engage with the culture around us but also then how we share our faith so this is a chapter about courageous faith um, there's a chapter about how we can become disciples who make disciples as well and invest in, in the lives of others as well and help them to, to grow. And then there's a chapter at the end about how we can continue to keep our eyes on Jesus um, as, we, 
as we go. So it's kind of this whole mix of, as I say, outward and inward and hidden and, and personal and corporate, you know, but, and some of them, you know, some of the themes feel weary. So there's a chapter on understanding the nature of the cost of discipleship. There's a chapter on how we can prepare for challenges that come our way. Mm-hmm. And, and actually how those challenges actually can be the very gateway at times to building and strengthening our faith as we, you know, as we learn to rely on Jesus more. Um, and then kind of knit it through all the writings, their stories, you know, stories of people who, whose suffering has actually produced and developed resilience or of people who've stayed the course or of kind of uh, examples of people who have shared their faith in, in kind of amazing ways. Um, some of the stories are uh, really hopeful and positive and encouraging. Some of the stories are more bleak, you know, and um, and maybe serve as a challenge or a warning. And then, and then some of some of the reflections or, or writings are just kind of, out of, out, I guess, out of the overflow of the ministry that I've been involved in, in the last 15 years as I've, as I've sought to disciple and lead where, where I've been planted as well. So that's kind of a, there you go, there's a whistle-stop tour through the kind of 11 themes of, of the book. No, it's, it's good to understand because we need to expand and give people an idea of what to expect when taking up your book. And I'm not just saying because you're in front of me or anything, I will be reading it intensively. As a student at Bible College, I studied a module called Coming Up Discipleship, and I love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've started, I started a discipleship group in my own church for teenagers, mm-hmm. and seeing that grow, and then seeing them grow in faith, investing in them. And as you've been talking about um, emerging out of this pandemic, I love what you mentioned about Daniel and how we're not in Jerusalem, but in Babylon. I love what Jeremiah talks about in the exile, but we need to embrace, we embrace that exile. I remember hearing someone, I can't remember their name, but it said this, the mark of the, the beauty of the church is not how it's gathered anymore, it's how it's scattered. When it's scattered, how it's gathered, when it's scattered, sorry. sorry. And even though we were scattered, we were still gathered under his name and that intimacy that can only be found from him. And when you strip off everything, it comes back to this intimacy with our teacher, which is Jesus Christ. You know, ancient days, you know, students would have followed the rabbis, but this teacher is so intimate of us, so loving towards us. And you were talking about the, the bleakness stories. Well, that's reality. Life's not all in a Christian walk, rose gardens and things. There's real suffering. The Apostle Paul says suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that reality is what this pandemic has woken us up to. The reality is we need Christ. He must increase and must and we must decrease in that. Mm-hmm. And I just love how you brought those themes of intimacy, discipline, those habits that we need to get back to if we want to see authentic disciples grow and authentic community, but the church grow through that. So I'm, I'm really thankful for that. As we're coming close to the end, I'm, I'm watchful of my time and I'm, thank you for so much for coming on. Not at all. What, what would you say to someone perhaps who who used to follow the Lord and has fallen away. 
what would you say to them? And finally, I want to throw in our curveball at you because I like doing this just to keep it interesting. What would you say to someone who is leading the ministry, who is trying to make disciples, but is so discouraged right now? What would you say to them? I know it's two big themes, but take your time. Yeah, so I'll take them separately. Um, the people who've maybe walked away, um, actually the introduction of the book, I talk about three people who um, uh, who have imp- who impacted my life in different ways and who don't follow Jesus anymore. And that kind of forms the narrative or the introduction of the book. Um, I mean, I would have to confess the book isn't necessarily written the, the book is written because of people like that. It's not necessarily written to them. It's written probably to younger disciples now to make sure that they put down the deep roots that enable them to keep following Jesus. And um, what would I say to those people? Maybe I have those three names in my head specifically um, as I answer this question. I would say um, grace is strong. Um, I would remind them of the love of Christ that, you know, like the the, the father and the, the story of the prodigal son. And I would say the father's waiting for you. Um, you're not too far gone or too far away, too distant for the father to care. Um, so I'd push them towards grace rather than a list of kind of things that they should do to get themselves right with God. That, you know, that, that's not how grace works. So I'd remind them of that. Um, uh, your other question about then Christian leaders um, who are feeling discouraged. I think the thing with Roots is that it's sometimes not that spectacular. Um, if you think about the ministry of Jesus, he invested in 12 people, generally. Um, he spent a lot of time investing in 12 people. Um, one of them betrayed him, and the rest of them deserted him in his hour of need. That was his discipleship group. Some and also, yeah, it, it didn't. It wasn't a success on the, on the surface. It didn't look like a success. And yet through that group, they became, Jesus invested in a small group of people who went on to impact the whole world exactly. and spread, you know, established the church. Mm-hmm. And so if what you're doing feels small, it doesn't mean it's insignificant. And so I would say if you're discouraged by size, don't give up. Um, it's not how the kingdom of God, Maz and the kingdom of God kind of, it's just, it's upside down, you know. Um, and maybe to leaders who are currently leading ministries or, I don't know, youth groups or work, you know, ministries of discipleship, I would encourage them to push for depth. Now, that doesn't mean, and I want to say this too, that doesn't mean that everything has to be all serious all the time, you know, or you need to be so intense all the time. But I think we need to not settle for surface answers and an hour a week because an hour a week isn't enough in the Babylon that I was referring to. The culture is strong. So I would say push for depth, push beyond the surface. 
and put your time and energy into people and not just programs. Um, draw people close into your life, share your life with them, share your faith, teach them and train them how to do the things that you know how to do. It comes like second nature. Some of those devotion or sorry, uh, spiritual habits that we're talking about push for depth because that's the thing. And I, and I can see this reflecting back on the things that I did in youth ministry. I can see the things that had fruit and I can see now the things that didn't. And so yeah, I would say uh, push for depth. Think about spiritual formation. Um, and yeah, and actually, you know, you mentioned working with a discipleship group. If I'm honest, part of the hope of this book is that it wouldn't just be read by individuals. So there's questions at the end of every chapter, um, three, four questions to reflect on. So if you are reading it personally, there are questions maybe to reflect on, you know, write down answers to. But actually part of the heart and the hope is that this book could be read together as well by people and that they could maybe i don't know you know read a chapter a week and then meet together around a coffee shop or you know coffee table or in in rooms and churches and small groups and actually discuss what this looked like for them what does this mean for their life and and maybe use those questions as a launch pad into a discussion so you know if you are listening to this watching this and you're leading a kind of discipleship ministry with anything from young people up to young adults to students to adults you know i'd encourage you to think about you know to check out the book and and, and you know use it with others it's, it's meant to be a tool to aid people's discipleship it's not just you know a kind of personal thing although people will read it in, in that way at times as well well, thanks, Rick. I enjoyed that. And if you wanted to connect with Rick, I'll put his links to his social media and his and links where you can get the book. Uh, depending yeah. on what platform you're watching this from, it'll be below, above, or wherever. It'll be there. And feel free to get in touch with Rick, and I'm sure he'll be up for speaking, sharing, and investing. He has a heart for Christ and the kingdom of God. But before we end, I just want to pray for Rick, and I also want to pray for you listening and We'll just see where the Lord leads and feel free to get in touch. And remember, God sees the beginning and the end. So keep going. God will complete the work that he started within you. Keep going. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our foundation. Jesus Christ, who saved us from our sin, your grace is enough more than we need. And Lord, your grace is sufficient for us in, in all trials of life. And Lord, I thank you for it. But Lord, you call us into discipleship. You call us into this intimacy. You call us into this personal inward work, but also an outward work of sharing. And Lord, I thank you for my brother, Rick, whose passion is to see people grow in faith, to produce devoted disciples, to, to impact their surroundings their families their communities their workplaces their churches lord i just pray lord that as this book's released lord i pray lord that lives would be changed churches would be changed and disciples made for the kingdom of god and churches growing healthily and biblically and we thank you lord that what you see in us lord we we can't fully express it or, or see it yet but you see the the end from the beginning lord and we just look to you who is always with us till the end of the age lord i'm thinking lord of those who perhaps used to walk with you lord i pray if there's someone there who used to walk with you 
who has been listening or watching this on online, Lord, I just pray that they would come to know you. I pray for those who are in ministry who are experiencing deep discouragements. May they remember that you see the heart behind everything. Lord, would you encourage and bless your servants. And Lord, in all things, we remember that you're king and you're sovereign over us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I nearly forgot to ask one important question. What day is your book released? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it's released on the 30th of June, and uh, but it's available on pre-order now. So um, uh, the link which you'll put up there, you said, Michael, um, there's a pre-order price of 7.99, sort of a, a bit of a discount there, and people can can pick that up now or order it now. And then from the 30th of June, it'll be out and available, and um, it'll be available online. And then also from the summer, it should be available from hopefully a range of Christian bookshops and retailers and and via Amazon at some point too, and, and there'll be a Kindle version as well, um, maybe just a little bit uh, further down the line. So, that thanks. Great. That was great. No, thanks for coming on, Rick, and take care, everyone. Stay safe, and God bless you. Bye-bye.